This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Matthew chapter number 8. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Uh, We are continuing where we left off last week. Uh, As you know, uh, as as, as Vicki reminded us, uh, we're a Bible-believing church. We're a spirit-filled Bible-believing church, which means uh, we take the Word of God seriously. Uh, and we believe in our hearts that the Word of God transforms. The Word of God changes. The Word of God uh, moves people from where they are into elevated places of God's blessing. Uh, and I believe that the Word of God has life. Uh, and today I pray that that life and that Word will be breathed into us as we look to the word uh, today. Uh, We talked last week from Matthew 8, and we studied the first few passages of Scripture. And we're going to pick off where we left off in verse number 23, and we'll go to verse number 27 to begin with, and then we'll finish the passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27. Uh, You could follow with me in whatever passage or in whatever translation uh, you are following. I'm reading from the ESV, and this is what the Bible says. And when he got into the boat... His disciples followed him. I want to pause there real quick, and I want to kind of compare, and we will in a bit, but I want to, like we did last week, I think it's imperative to compare the, uh, the passage of Scripture to Mark's account of, uh, of, this, of this writing, of this passage, which I feel is very important. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, Mark paints this beautiful picture for us that we'll discuss in a bit. But he starts this passage off very beautifully. And I want to start by comparing because we're going to come back to this in a little bit. And I feel like this is important for the study of this passage. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. He said, Let us. Someone say, Let us. Can we be louder? Say, Let us. Alrighty, all right. He said, let us go to the other side. Let's go back to Matthew 8, verse 23. And when he had got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, who is he? Jesus. Someone say, Jesus was asleep. They say, Jesus was asleep. Some of you just stopped at asleep. Okay. Verse 25, and they went and woke him up saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Verse 26, and he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men, the disciples, marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Could you close your eyes with me? Father, would you speak to us through this word? Give us what we need today. I pray that this word will come in power and in might. Holy Spirit, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 8 and verse 24 and verse 23, 24, we're introduced to this passage where there is this storm that is raging. Uh, If you grew up in church like like I did, uh, you probably know that uh, this this story in the back of your hand, it's it's a very popular passage of scripture. It is a popular uh, story that we learn from when we are kids. And we're introduced to this idea that Jesus has power over nature. 
There are plenty of passages in scripture that point to that direction, but today we'll focus on this. The Bible talks about, and behold, that word behold is this exclamation point of sorts in Greek where it said, out of nowhere, it has this expression of surprise associated with it. The word associated with surprise is this word in Greek called ginomai, which means suddenly. There are so many of us that land in storms and you had no idea how you got there. You walked in thinking that nothing was about to happen. It's like the Texas weather. Uh, you look at it in the morning and you're like, it's going to be a good day. And two o'clock, there is a storm coming in. And the weatherman's like, it may or may not hail. It may or may not pour down cats and like, it's crazy. And, and so many of us, we find ourselves in situations like that. Well, we didn't ask for storms. We didn't ask for troubles. We didn't ask for pain. We didn't ask for tormenting seasons that we go through, but suddenly you probably had nothing to do with it, but you're in the middle of it. And sometimes we're like, what do we do in storms like that? What do we do in situations that look at us and threaten our very being and our existence? We hear different interpretations from different people. If you go to YouTube, you'll find a hundred different interpretations from a hundred different preachers about this particular subject. What to do in a storm. Some of them will look at you and say, sleep in a storm, because that's what Jesus did. Some of them will look at you and say, hey, you got to pray in a storm. Some of them will say, you have to have faith in a storm. Some of them you say, will say that you have to cast out all fear in a storm. Others will say that you have to obey in a storm. Some of them will say you just have to stay, you have to trust, you have to believe, you have to do nothing and see the glory of God. Some of them you say you have to delay, you have to lay down. Like what do I do? Which pastor should I listen to? Which interpretation should I listen to? Which sermon should I listen to? And I'll tell you this, no matter what sermon you listen to, what season you are in life, will dictate your attitude towards the storm that you are going through. See, Mark's account of this is pretty vivid. It's pretty colorful. And that's why I kind of want to draw your attention to the, this account in Mark chapter 4 and verse 37, where the Bible says, and a great windstorm arose. There arose this great storm. It came out of nowhere. Now, these guys, these disciples, a majority of them were prepared for situations like this. Why? Because they were fishermen by trade. They grew up around the waters. They grew up around the storms. They knew how to navigate a boat through storms. They knew how to make sure to avoid storms. They knew they could read the weather before the weather channel came and without, before the apps came. The fishermen knew how to read weather. Today was abnormal. It was not normal. Peter, James, and John thought that it was a perfect night for fishing. They thought it was a perfect night for a guy's night out. They were ready to catch some tuna. They were ready to grill some mackerel. They were ready to do what they, it was a time of rest. Trust me, they needed the rest. When evening had come, they got onto the boat and they got into the waters. Not in their right mind would they have said, there's a storm coming, let's go into the waters. Maybe Jesus would have done that, and I think Jesus knew, but the fishermen using their own wisdom and their own understanding would have never put themselves in that predicament if they knew that a storm was coming. But yet there they were. 
It was a perfect night for sailing. The skies were clear and at, at the north of the Sea of Galilee were these mountains and when atmospheric conditions would change, uh, sometimes during the year, the wind that comes from the top of the mountains would come and they would slap the sea and the sea would act turbulent like an earthquake. It would move and, and what happened on that day was an atmospheric pressure of sorts would then move the waters which caused the waters to act like what would be an earthquake on land, like a mini tsunami of sorts. It was a cyclone, what, would, what we would probably refer to as a hurricane. I don't know what category, don't ask me, but it was crazy. The word storm used over there is this word for atmospheric turbulence. Waves were crashing. It was just not one wave, it was not the wave that you see in the ocean. It was bad. This last week, we, Sonia and I took a break and we, 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 we did a vacation and we were on the waters actually and we did this sunset cruise sort of a thing and we were on the waters and man, the waters were choppy. It was crazy, but one thing we noticed was that the waves always went in one direction. It wasn't waves come. That's how nature is. That's how the waters are. But this, the Bible talks about, is this word used for waves, is this word kumara, which is in the plural, which the Bible talks about with the, the waves were breaking into the boat one after the other, which the Bible was talking about. It was coming from different directions. That's why we know it was this atmospheric, like, turbulence that was happening that was causing waters to function in an abnormal, in a way that was out of the ordinary. When you look to the right, there was waves. When you look to the left, there were waves. It was uncontrollable. The disciples would know what to do in a situation like that. But the Bible says the, the waves beat into the boat. The word used over there in Greek is the word epoibalo, which means to throw like a ball or a rock. That word was never used before for the, when, when, when they talked about winds or waves because that was the, the word used over there, the phrase used over there, it describes like hurling a ball or a rock by hand. It was like the boat was the target and the waves came at them from all directions. And some of us wonder why it happened that way, but I know something for sure. Jesus was about to do something miraculous something amazing, something powerful in this next passage that we're about to study and the enemy was going to try everything in his power to stop that from happening. I want to remind somebody that the season you're going through is not for the enemy just to disturb what is happening in your life right now, but he knows what God is about to do in the future. He knows where you are heading. He knows the direction you're going. And he says, I don't want him. I don't want her. I don't want that family to go in that direction. I want to speak life into that somebody. The devil knew if he could kill Jesus. The devil knew if he could kill his army. The demonic attack on the other side will keep going. There will be no deliverance because in, in a few minutes we're going to be introduced to a Jesus that is going to walk into the oppressive spirit of darkness and rebuke it. Hmm. Mark chapter 4 and verse 38. I said let's compare Mark. Mark is beautiful in his writing. He says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. He was very sour. Mark knows every detail because he was like, man, Jesus, you know, he was just not sleeping. He was sleeping on a cushion. He made sure before we got on this boat to bring a cushion with him. Like, Jesus, you knew we were going to be in a storm and you still bought a cushion. How diabolic of you, Jesus. 
The Bible says, and they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Matthew says, and they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. They awake him. And the, the question is, do you not care? Oof. You know, the word over there is this word perish, which was the word that we studied last week, apolaumi, which means perishing in front of your eyes, unraveling, breaking apart. That's the same word. And, and they remembered what Jesus said a few chapters. They were like, we are perishing right now. What are you doing about this? Their question was, how can you sleep when we are perishing? I want to remind somebody, just because uh, Jesus isn't panicking like you, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care. I don't think you heard that. So, Just because Jesus isn't panicking like you, it don't mean that he don't care. If there's anybody that cared in the boat, it was Jesus. Because it was Jesus' idea, and he said, let us go to the... Y'all better listen to this. I said this last year, I think when I was preaching, I was referring to this message. God is not a panic king. For those of y'all who understand that, understood that, praise the Lord, panicking, panic king. Okay. <laughs> but aren't we like those people though? Aren't we like those people? We expect people to freak out about things that we are freaked out about. Pastor, why aren't you freaked out about what's going on with our country? Why aren't you freaked out with what is going on in the White House and who is sitting up there? And why, is, why aren't you freaking out about the, the upcoming elections? And aren't you freaking about this and this and this? Aren't, no, I'm not. I'm not. I have a pillow and I love my pillow. We expect people to freak out about the things that we freak out about. Why don't you seem to care? You seem unbothered. Maybe you're not Christian like I am because you don't care about the things that I care about. No, maybe they do care and they need to be level-headed for you. Maybe God put them in a place and gave them a pillow so they can sleep through your storm. Come on, anybody? You have friends that you can call and you're freaking out and they're calm. And they're like, are you even my friend? You're supposed to be freaking out right now. If you have somebody that you call and you're freaking out and they're freaking out with you, unfriend them. I'm telling you right now, they do not be friends with people that freak out with you, that drive you crazy. You're like, I called just to like, you know, and you're driving me more, like unfriend them right now. They don't deserve to be a Facebook friend. Like Sonia and I are like that. When we raise our kids, one of us, one of us is like losing it and we're like getting mad at our kids and the other one's like super calm. And then the next day, the person that was super calm is like losing it and the other person that was mad yesterday is like, why are you losing it? I'm like, hey, you were losing it. Yes. Get off your... Just because other people in your life doesn't care, doesn't mean, like, they, they, it seems like they don't care. It doesn't mean, like, they, it doesn't mean that they don't care. Like, 12 men on the boat and all of them are freaking out. It doesn't help the situation at all, right? But Jesus wasn't sleeping because he did not care. He was asleep because he was at peace. I want to remind somebody, when you have 
peace. And when you know the Prince of Peace, no matter what storm comes in your life, God gives you the ability to look at your storm and say, but I still have Jesus. His name is peace. And if he called me to it, he can get me through it. If he said, let's go to the other side, the other side waits for me. The other side is calling my name. The other side says, Ashish, come. And no matter what storm is going to come against you, no matter what atmospheric turbulence may move and come your way, Jesus will not fail because it is his word. Come on. Hmm. I got to go on. Some of us are just upset because Jesus isn't on our panic level. And Jesus is like, see, that's what separates divinity from humanity. That's what separates me from you. And I am God and you are not. And let it be that way. And some of us in our storms, we got to trust Jesus. Verse 39. And he awoke. Someone said he woke up. Don't you hate it when somebody wakes you up from your nap? Oof. I told my girls the other day when I was taking my nap, I said, don't wake me up unless there's a fire in this house. <laughs> so I need my nap. My middle one, my four-year-old comes five minutes later. Like, <laughs> I am getting into REM, like, like literally like, okay, I'm getting into this sleep. This is going to be good. Ta-da! I was like, what? What, what do you want? Mickey's not giving me candy. <laughs> Jesus arose. See, they, prob they thought the problem was really the waves. Jesus rebukes the wind. See, they were concerned about what they saw. Because all they saw was waves, abnormal waves, things that were coming to them from all directions. They're like, we're fishermen, we've seen waves, but this is not normal, God. Like, we're seeing winds and waves, like waves are coming and hitting us from all directions. And that's what they were concerned about. But the wind was, the, the, the wind was the real problem. The wind is what used the waves. And, be, and, and I want to remind somebody, behind the symptoms, there's this unseen force. And Jesus addresses the cause of the storm. He says, wind. That's what he wants to talk about. You remember that tree that Jesus cursed? The Bible says that Jesus cursed the tree at its root. That's what it said. Jesus cursed the tree at its root. Jesus says, I'm going to speak to, I'm going to, speak to something that you cannot see. And in turn, it will affect what you can see. Because Mark comes back later and says, that tree was dead. That tree was dead as dead could be. A lot of us are trying to change what we can see. We're trying to fix our spouse. We're trying to fix our kids. We're trying to fix our money. We're trying to fix the job. Some of us need to talk to the root. Some of us need to talk to the wind, the root. It's not the rain. It's not the boat. It's not the waves. It's not the calm Jesus that we're trying to fix. We are trying to fix what we can see. But all the disciples, all that they wanted was for the boat to be stabilized. And Jesus was like, there's a deeper issue. There's a wind that you can't see. I want to remind somebody that we're, we're wrestling with things that we cannot see. Ephesians 6, 21 reminds us that and says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says he stands up and he rebukes the wind. 
Can I pause that for a second? The word for rebuke that's used of them. I want you to write this down. The word rebuke is this word epitamao. Epitamao, which means to assault someone's honor. To assault someone's honor. To decredit someone. To give no, to, to strip somebody off their credibility. And Jesus is looking at this fearsome storm that is raging. The wind, and the Bible says he rebukes it. We love the word rebuke and we use it very popularly in our charismatic circles. But the word that Jesus is using over here is different. The Greek is different. He's saying he verbally assaulted this, this wind. Oof. He literally cussed this wind out. He was, he was belittling this wind. He was being mean to this wind. The Bible actually says he has this conversation with this wind. And says, man, who are you? Like, what are you? I created you. There's this, and, and, I, and I wonder how many of us on a daily basis decredit the enemy in our lives. How many of us verbally assault the enemy in our lives or do we give him a foothold day after day? This is good because that, it's lashing out against you. I pray that you will have the authority to stand up and speak every power of God and what God has done on the cross over every power of the enemy and tell him who your God is. Ooh. He looks at the wind, he rebukes the wind, and then he turns to the waves. And he says, peace be stilled. The word in Greek is basically he muzzled it. He held his hand above the waves and he just muzzled it. All he did was say, shh. Isn't it amazing that the big issue that you see is life-threatening in front of you? Jesus looks at it and says, shh. Hmm. And he looks at them and says, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? Verse 27, the men marveled and said, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And this is the beauty of the passage. It, the, the, you, know, you, you know that you can get through the storm because of the first verse. Like without a shadow of a doubt, they needed to know that no matter what storm hit them, no, no matter what atmospheric pressure was rising and no matter what it was coming against them, what was raging against them, the promise was the first verse in verse 35 on that day when evening had come he said to them let us go across to the other side he didn't say take me across to the other side he said we are doing this together when he says let us go it means we are going to get to the other side if Jesus said I'll cross over I will if Jesus says I have a future I have a future if Jesus says there is hope, there is hope. And I want to remind somebody there is goodness in the land of the living. I want to declare over somebody that you and your household, you will serve the Lord. I want to declare over somebody that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he will provide for your every need. And this storm it will not have its final say. That God will come out victorious. If Jesus said it, I believe it. And it settles it. I will come through this storm. It's a scary moment. I'm not going to lie. It's a scary moment to trust that this storm will not kill me. But when I can hold on to the promise that says, I will live because he lives. Come on, somebody. You will live because I live. That is a promise from heaven that you can hold on to. 
Though you walk through the waters, oh come on, some, though you walk through the valley, though you, though you go through peril and go, you, though you go through death and though death knocks at your door, God's presence will be upon you. And as we continue that passage in Matthew chapter 8 verse 28, the Bible says, and when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, the two demon-possessed men met him. Let me lead, read that passage in its entirety so we have some context. Coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. Oof. Verse 29, and behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him and said, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, a whole herd rushed, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. <laughs> they cared more about the, their economy than they cared about deliverance. They, did what Je they saw what Jesus did to their economy, that they said Jesus is bad for us. They didn't care about the demon-possessed man that brought a demonic oppression upon the city that Jesus freed in a second. See, Mark and Luke deal with one man. There was possibly two men, but one man was more active. And if you go to the account of Mark and you go to the account of Luke, there was one man in question. That one man who was more severely possessed than the other two. Or as Mark puts it, he was a man with the unclean spirit. And that is a more accurate representation of what the Greek word used over there is. In Mark 5 verse 2, the Bible says immediately there met him out in the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus comes out of this boat alive. Someone say alive. I want to remind somebody Jesus is in control of everything. What you thought will kill you, Jesus said, not today. I want to remind somebody that only the one who started your story can end your story. It's only an author that started a story that knows the ending of the story. Allow him to script your story. Don't end the story. Don't put a period where God wants to continue the story. The Bible says it was a man with an unclean spirit. Or in other words, it was, he was in the grip of, or, or control of this evil, unclean spirit. I want to remind somebody today that demonic oppression is real. Okay, we, we, I kind of touched upon this last week, and I told you, come back for more this week, and I want to remind somebody. I don't shy away from that, because I know the reality of it. And I want to I introduce this by telling you that oftentimes this is not talked about in our culture, because we want to be a culture that everything looks prim and proper, but I come from a side of the world that, man, oppression was real. 
I've ministered in countries in South America and in India and different places where, where idol worship was huge and big and, 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 uh, and, and black magic and, and things that, you know, our, our demonic influence was huge and of, of importance in societies where God had sent me to where I've seen demonic oppression being freed by Jesus. So I want to remind somebody that oftentimes we sugarcoat that message of demonic oppression. We say, we are not supposed to be oppressed by the devil. That's just in the Bible. Those are just spiritual things that we need to pray about. No. I want to open your eyes into talking about something real today from a very biblical perspective. Is that okay? The Bible said in verse 3, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. The Bible says, and, and you would go on to read in, the, in this passage three times, the Bible talks about how he lived near the tombs. His dwelling, the Bible, the Bible the, when it says he lived, it's dwelling. He took residence. So he just didn't like leave home in the morning and went into the tombs. And when he went to the tombs, he was like possessed or he came out with an unclean spirit. No, there was a reason he was by the tombs. Driven by the unclean spirit that he was in. Driven by the oppression that he was in. He was driven to the tombs. And back in that culture, if you touched the dead or anything to do with the dead, you were deemed unclean. So you were away from the people, away from the city. People didn't want anything to do with you. You were unclean in who you were. We'll, we'll focus on this one man that Jesus is ministering to in the gospel according to Mark. Not to take away from the other man that was present. But the Bible says he was living among the tombs. He was living around death. He was dominated by death. He was thinking about death day after day. I want to remind somebody that in our daily lives... No matter even if we are in church, if we are worshiping, we have God inside of us and we have the Holy Spirit upon us. Remember that we're living in a culture where death surrounds us. Where demonic oppression is knocking at your door day in and day out. Where our children are exposed to demonic attacks day after day. Where we have to plead the blood of Jesus on our kids before they go to school. Come on, am I talking to somebody today? I don't mean to, to scare you today. I don't mean to, to, to build some fear inside of you. I want you to take whatever I'm saying and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But I'm speaking from experience today. People that are joining us for the first time, you're like, oh, this is a weird church. Trust me, we're, we're, we're very, very particular about being as accurate as, as the Word of God asks us to be. But the Bible says, man, he was living around death, around the tombs. Verse 4, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Ooh. Bound, the word bound is in prison. He was in this prison of, 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 of oppression. The Bible says he was bound in chains. Chains around his hands, the word used over there is halusis, which was chains around his hands. And in verse 3 and 4, the Bible will talk about how there were shackles on his feet. And this man was so powerful when the men, when the people of the city were binding him and put shackles around his hands and his feet. He was so strong that he plucked them asunder or he tore them in half. That's what the Greek says. The word used over there is this word centribo, which means crushed bones or crushed like grapes. That's how much power he had to break these shackles and chains. I want you to remember that the power that you give over the enemy over your life has the potential and the potency to crush you sometimes. 
Sometimes we do things to ourselves in moments of oppression, in moments that we don't think. And, and trust me, a lot of us go through moments like this without it looking like this. Being under the influence of the enemy's attack doesn't mean that we have to walk around among tombs. And you're like, some of y'all are sitting there like, all right, thank God for me. I'm not like living in the cemetery. Please, if you look at it that way, you're not going to get this message today. I want us to open our eyes to the reality of this. Uh, he had so much of strength. The Bible says that no one had the strength to subdue him. The word over there is to tame or domesticate or bring under control. Damazo, which means even there, there were these wild animal tamers that would take wild animals and tame them. And they were saying that even those men and people couldn't even tame them. That's how powerfully under the oppression he was. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Does it need to be clearer than this? He was in the mountains and the tombs. He was crying. He was screaming. He was yelling, cutting himself. This man was suicidal. Come on, we don't talk about this in church. But I want to remind somebody I am very, a big proponent of deliverance and being delivered from the power of the, the evil spirit that hounds us and puts us. I know what I went through as a teenager. I went through the spirit of suicide where I wanted to hurt myself. I remember moments that I was led to the wall and I would bang my head on a concrete wall. And I'm not lying about this. I'm just being honest and truthful about the pain that I would go through. About the rejection that I went through. Because of the pain that I went through as a kid. Because of how much of pain. I, and you look at me and you're like, you're a pastor though. But, but I went through that pain. I went through pain. And, and you know, studies. I, I, I did my clinical psychology degree. And, and when we went through our studies, when we were studying about counseling people that, you know, are, are, are prone to self-induced pain or inflicted pain. There was these studies that were conducted that at least 85% of people think about harming themselves or bringing harm to themselves at least once in their entire lifetime. I want to remind somebody today, if you are sitting over here, and if you have ever, or if you are today, thinking about hurting or harming yourself, I want to remind you that Jesus loves you, he cares for you, and he has power over that darkness that has an influence over your mind and is telling you to hurt yourself. Jesus has control. If I would not be standing here, if I did not experience the touch of Jesus, if I was not prayed over, if somebody did not put their hands on me and cast that depression out and cast that suicidal spirit out, man, I would not be standing here. But I thank my God. Come on, somebody. Because he loved me. He knew my name before I was born. Come on. And I want to remind somebody here. He knows you. He knows the number of hair on your head. He knew your name before you were born. You are valuable. You are a child of God. And nothing you can do, nothing you have done, can change that. He loves you deeply. Oof. You know, I'm, I'm reminded day in and day out how Jesus was attracted to the broken. How Jesus left community to find new community. And the new community that he was attracted to and embraced was a community that nobody else wanted. A woman that people rejected because of an issue of blood. A leper that nobody wanted to touch because they thought that they would become leprous. 
A man that was living in the tombs because people thought that he was unclean. Jesus had this potential and this power to be attracted to these men and women that society deemed as untouchable. And Jesus said, I came for them. I came for the ones that hurt themselves. I came for the ones that cut themselves. I came for the ones that were in, in bathtubs, the number of men and women and young men and teenagers that I have ministered to in youth ministry who would end up in bathtubs filled with water and who would cut themselves. And the ability that God has given me to speak over them and cast the evil spirit of death from them. Come on, I have seen it. I have been there. And I've seen young children being healed and delivered from spirits of darkness. So if you sit there and if you say you don't believe in it, I ask that you open your eyes because you have no idea what the enemy is doing with our generation. I have a passion for this because I've been there. I've done that. And I've seen the grace and the hand of God change me, transform me, and deliver me from the path of death and brought me into the light and gave me life in eternal. Thoughts of harm is not from God. I want to remind somebody that. I, I don't want to scare you and say you're demon possessed. That's not what it is either. I want to remind you, if you are off God, God possesses you. If anybody that is in God, if you have asked Jesus to come into your life, there's only one person that possesses you, and that is Jesus. You are not possessed, but do, could you, have you, would you in the future allow doors to be open? And we'll talk about that in just a second. That allows the enemy to come and work in your life? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, I want you to hear this. He saw Jesus. He ran and fell. Now, remember this. Even though you have the influence of the enemy around you, it doesn't mean that it's stopping you from running to Jesus. The ability that you have to show up Sunday after Sunday. The ability that you have to still show up to your life group. The ability that you have to come here. And even though you don't want to raise your hands and worship, you know who Jesus is. And you know his love. And you know his mercy. And you know what he can do. And you're still attracted and you run to Jesus with the little strength. And I think that's what happened over here. With the little consciousness, the God consciousness that he had, he recognizes Jesus, he ran. Oh, come on, somebody. I want to remind somebody that. The enemy will not allow you to bow to Jesus, but the Jesus follower inside of you knows that Jesus is on the throne, and if he's on the throne, he can bring you out of anything that you're going through in your life. Oof. And the Bible says he fell down before him. And even though he approached Jesus, remember what happens immediately in the next verse. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. He flipped in a second. The enemy got a hold of him immediately. She was talking about Peter just a while ago. What causes Peter to be a disciple and yet rebuke. What causes Peter to be a disciple and yet doubt. What causes Thomas to be a disciple and apostle but yet say, I want to still see. What, what causes that? Come on. 
And there are so many of us that struggle with that. And, and he flips and he says, what do you want to do with me? I adjure you, God, do not torment me. He wanted freedom and he wanted breakthrough. But the demon seized him. This, this word for torment is his word, bazadino, which means to torment or to torture. And he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus says, come out. And it's a, it's a present continuous, which means he just kept telling him, come out, come out, come out, come out. It's not just one come out. It was said, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. Jesus was unpeeling the layers and Jesus asked him, what is your name? Oof. It's not because Jesus didn't know his name, but you remember earlier we talked about discrediting somebody? The moment you look at somebody and say, what is your name? You don't know that person. She's like, I'm not going to give you any credibility whatsoever. What is your name? Like, who are you? Like, forget, like, I don't think it was a, I want to see your name tag. I want to see your ID. He was like a, who in the world are you, dude? Like, and what power do you have over this guy? And, and he, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. He had a, not just a, a, a stronghold over the person, but over that entire community. Over that community, over those people, over that family even. And God is like, man, no, 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 not today. And he started unpeeling the layers and he said, get out of him. Legion, as many of you all know, what is legion? It was a Roman, Roman army of around 6,000 soldiers. And he said, there are around 6,000 of us or that many of us inside. Can I ask you a question? If a man has a capacity or a woman has a capacity to hold 6,000 demons, what is our capacity to hold God? Like, can I ask somebody and challenge you with that? If you and I have the capacity to walk around with a legion, man, what can God do through a surrendered life that says, God, you have all. I don't think you're listening to me today. In Ephesians 4.27, John, you can come play me up. John 4.27, the Bible says, do not make room for the devil. Which means you and I have the ability to give opportunities to the enemy. Am I talking to somebody? Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is able. Yes, God is powerful. But you and I have the ability day after day to make decisions and doors that we stand in front of that we either open or close to the enemy. Yes, no, maybe Some of us need to have ring doorbells as far as the enemy is concerned. Like we tell our girls all the time, they love going to the door and opening the door as soon as the doorbell rings. They're saying, nope, I got to see who it is first. I screen who I allow into my house. I want to have that conversation with that person who I don't know before. I, can I help you? Now, I'm not going to open my door. Thank you for technology, but I'm not going to open the door to anybody standing at my door. You tell me what your intention of visit is. I will then allow you or I will give you access. Because that's what the devil is called. He's called the Lord of the Flies. We're in fly season. Hello. You know if you open your door, what's coming in. Thank you, Jesus. You know that. It's open doors. Flies don't magically appear. I don't know how this fly came in. You open the door. 
you left it open for a little bit longer than you should. Why are these mosquitoes biting? You opened the door. Hello? You either went outside or you allowed them to come inside. But Ephesians 4, Paul reminds us, do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't even give him a space. John 14 and 30 reminds us the prince of the world is coming. He has no hold over me. Jesus declares that and I want some of y'all to declare that and say in the name of Jesus I relinquish and I denounce and I rebuke every power of the enemy over me, over my family, over my future children, over my children, over my parents, over my city, over my community, over my church, over everybody I know. I do not give them access in the name of Jesus. Stand up to your feet, stand up to your feet. Three things I'm going to give you, and we're going to pray. Three things I'm going to give you, and I'm going to pray. There are three doors that the flies enter through. The Lord of the flies will enter through three doors. One is called the door of inheritance. It's a generational door. When you and I do not address generational issues that have been bogging our families and our lives down, when you and I as Christians do not take generational bondages seriously, you and I become a victim to generational bondages. Can I, can I speak for a little bit? This is important. Doors of inheritance, they are spirits. Just because your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather had cancer, it doesn't mean you should have cancer. I rebuke heart disease in the name of Jesus. It will not, shall not, cannot affect you. When you put a God around your home and you say, I break every generational bondage in the name of Jesus. You have no idea the number of people that I pray for. And I, I was praying, I was at a, a long time ago, years ago, I was, I was praying and the Holy Spirit told me, pray. You know, I, there was this prophetic word that came and said, there's somebody here with a heart issue. And Oh, sorry, it wasn't a heart issue. It was, a, it was blood pressure, like very high blood pressure. And I said, somebody's struggling with it right now. Right now, you're, where you are sitting or standing, you are struggling with it right now. And God wants to heal you. Nobody came forward. I was like, Lord, did I? Did I this is embarrassing. Out of nowhere, I see this woman from one side, of the, one side of the church running to the other side of the church. And I was like, okay, she's making her way around to come forward. Now she went and caught a hold of this other man that was standing on the other side, dragged him to the front. I said, what's going on over here? I was like, okay. And she said, pastor, this is my husband. I was like, first of all, why are you sitting on two sides of the church? <laughs> she said, this is my husband. I said, hi, husband. And she said, he's lying. I said, what you talking about? He says, he has high blood pressure. And the reason he's sitting down in the chair is because he was feeling dizzy earlier. And he's like, pray for him, Pastor. And I was like, hey, bro, man, God was talking to you. Did you hear what I was saying? He's like, yeah, I heard you. I was like, you hear? I heard you loud and clear. He's like, you don't want me to pray for you? No, brother. My family has it. My uncles all have blood pressure. My father has high blood pressure. I don't think I'm going to be healed. It runs in my family. It's pretty deep. And I said, not anymore. I said, if God said it, and if God brought you to it, God can heal you. 
It's not every day that that happens, but when it happens, you better be there where God is wanting to heal. Come on, somebody. And I said, there's breakthrough that's happening right now. Don't escape it. Don't just call it on you and say, this happened to my family, so it's going to keep on happening. I break that. I don't know what it is, but the iniquity of the fathers, the generational curses. I'm not speaking it over my kids. I'm not going to speak unwanted. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to look at my children and say, I didn't want you. No, no, no. I'm not going to speak curses over my children. The doors of inheritance in the name of Jesus are closed to the enemy. My generation, my children, my children children's children my family belongs to God for me and my house I will serve the Lord God Almighty and everything else has no access to me to me demons can use the door of dominion dominion God occupies places he occupied the ark of the covenant he occupied the holy of holies he occupied the tabernacle there were places that he occupied he occupied the temple then he occupies places be careful of the places you go to be careful about the businesses that you visit. Be careful about the places that your children go to. I don't want to be over spiritual here, but there is no door. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Be careful about where you, and, and like I said, I don't want to sound over spiritual, but I just want to share something. Sonia and I refuse to send our kids to a sleepover to a, a, a somebody's house, no matter who it is. I trust all of you with my heart. But I will not send our kids to a sleepover in a home outside of our family's homes. Outside of their grandparents. We won't send them to anybody else's home. Because I've seen what that can do. It, I'm not telling you what to do. But I'm just giving you an example of what we do. It's, we're, we're careful about the places we expose ourselves to. There are doors of, in, and, and, and I appreciate when people, last week, uh, I don't know who it was, they, 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 they bought a new car. People buy new cars here all the time. Thank you, Jesus. I don't remember who it was, but somebody called me outside, said, Pastor, pray for my new car. And I said, yes, thank you, Jesus, anoint your car. There was a lady that just moved from New York last week. She asked me to come pray over a house. Praise God for your new, anoint your home. Anoint the things that belong, the places that God has put you over. Dominion is important. God gave you dominion over that place. Come. Dominion is important. God, he put them on the earth and gave them dominion. That which God gave you dominion over, you don't give to the enemy. You don't give the keys. I got to go on, last one. The doors of involvement. The doors of involvement. Voluntarily or voluntar involuntarily. And young people, I want you to listen to me. There are things that we have in this world that the world attracts us and draws us to that you need to say no to. And we're just not talking about black magic or we're just not talking about talking to the dead or we're talking about charms. We're talking about demonic books. We're talking about horror movies. We're talking about rituals. We're talking about sex. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about porn. We're talking about drugs, music, movies. Burn it. Burn it to a crisp. I'm sorry, after today's service, if some of you all say, oh, this is a hyper-religious church. I don't want to come back. I'm sorry you feel that way. But you know what the church in Ephesus did? The, earth, the church in Ephesus burned cultic boards worth over $500,000 in today's money. They, they didn't sell it. They didn't go on eBay and list it. They didn't say, let somebody else have it. They didn't go on marketplace and say, let somebody else suffer the consequences. No, 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 no. They what? 
You know, in Romans, Paul, in my knowledge at least, in my reading, talks about Satan once. And he says in chapter number 16, right before he finishes the chapter, he says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I want to remind somebody that satanic, demonic influences are real. But there is no power of darkness that the Christian and the believer has no power over and authority over. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.